Hello world, it is Monday, March 22nd. My name is Colin McDonald. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Kenny Friedman. This is Hacker News TLDR. Kenny, how's it going? Well, it's been a great weekend, Colin. I I told everyone on Friday, I hope everyone listened to my advice to put... Uh, to put Syracuse going all the way in their uh, in their March Madness bracket, you know, eleventh seed Syracuse, mm-hmm. and so I hope that uh, when eleventh seed Syracuse upset a uh, six seed San Diego State on Friday, I'm sure nobody was surprised because I I told everybody that was going to happen, and right. then on, on then on Sunday, when eleventh seed Syracuse upset three seed West Virginia, all, I'm sure also no one was surprised because I told everyone that was going to happen, oh, and my so. I'm just I'm looking forward to the end of the week when when 11 seed Syracuse plays number two seed uh, Houston, and uh, that'll happen next Saturday. And I'm sure we all know what's going to happen. This is so upsetting. A that we're talking about sports at all on this podcast, and B that your prediction about sports has thus far been right, which is even worse. <sighs> to you be know, fair, in the in the bracket group that I'm in, I'm in dead last. <laughs> <laughs> last place in my bracket but when Your Syracuse wins points. the whole tournament I will win I will get first uh-huh okay how is that how is the point system weighted like are the you know guessing the outcomes of inner matches like of more more uh advanced matches like worth more points than the kind of like initial matches yes every round of the tournament is worth the same number of points total so mm-hmm. if you get the winner right in the in the final match, it's the same as getting every round of sixty four correct. Uh, okay, that's that's it. Starts with sixty four teams, and so if you get all thirty two of those matchups correct, that's equivalent to uh, guessing the final correctly. Do I have exactly. that right? Interesting. Yes. Okay. Well, and more uh, power to you. Yeah, Warren Buffett will uh, still give a million dollars to anybody who gets the entire bracket right, and I think it's already been confirmed that nobody has a perfect bracket anymore after after two days. Right. Yeah, because I mean, half the matchups are in the very first round, I guess. So. Yep. I guess hmm, I'd need to think more about the math, but does that mean that that's interesting? Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's yeah, that's uh, that's madness. So somebody yeah, actually I mean, did get every, harder, everything in the first round, right? Potentially. potentially. But the odds that they get the rest of it right, yeah, is zero. Yeah, and right. that compounds. Yeah. yeah. All right. Enough basketball talk. What are we doing? What is this? This is Hacker agreed. News TLDR. Yeah, agree. Uh, what's What's on Hacker News? NCAA TLDR. All right. Uh, I am going to talk about uh, Richard Stallman. You know, <laughs> we've uh, we've had a good run of podcasting here. We've got some some listeners, and I think it's time for us to both cancel ourselves. You know, I think it's, it's just that it. time of the time of the, the week. Uh, Are you saying we should cancel the web? <laughs> Stallman's back, baby. He's back at the FSF. Uh, after there's been overwhelming support to bring him back ever since he got kicked out. Uh, you know, because of uh, all this, all the Minsky uh, Epstein stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, he got kicked out over an email that I saw. Like it came to my inbox. I was on that mailing list it was wild and then i read that and i was like wow that sounds like a bad thing to say and then days later he got canceled it was it was weird yep this was on was it c-cell related it was okay well c-cell related now uh now gone so no one else can ever uh cancel themselves on there again but uh yeah weird weird debate and you know kind of just morbidly i'm morbidly fascinated by it and so naturally i read you know this entire relitigation of all the debates on both sides uh in the hn comments 
but yeah, basically, basically he said, you know, Minsky like went to Epstein's private island, and there was like an underage girl who uh, he may or may not have had sex with, and then uh, so Minsky got you know post mortemly canceled, uh, and then you know basically Sussman, not Sussman Stallman, chimed in saying like, well, you know, given the benefit of the doubt, we don't really know if he like uh, if the girl presented himself like as uh, as fully like consensual you know even if she was being uh trafficked by epstein and it's like i don't know a moral gray area we should give minsky the benefit of the doubt and i don't know it's a it's a it's a weird area uh it's 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 just a a very uh nuanced debate and it was pretty nuanced on hacker news and um you know people coming down on both sides and you know hacker news really did not converge to an opinion on this i think there was there was good points all around uh, anyway, I think I think uh, him chiming in on that debate wasn't really worth kicking him out of all of his positions and kicking him out of MIT and the FSF, and so he's back. And I think um, I think in general, you know, uh, good for the FSF and maybe good for the world. So we'll see how that shakes yeah. out. Yeah, it's a weird. I'm. It's a it's a weird one because basically in my mind, no, like a lot of things he said are you know, quote unquote problematic, but none of no one thing he said is so problematic. I feel like that it deserves to be outright canceled. But then mm-hmm. if you just look at his whole history of comments, he's like, obviously like outside of the mainstream to, to put it subtly and like uh-huh. says a lot of things that are like, uh, that's not a great thing to say. And I mean, should your whole life be ruined for that? No, but like, yeah. should people be allowed to not associate with this guy? Cause he's like, kind of creepy and kind of weird. I think that's fair, but also he's like a giant of computing, so it's hard to, you know, escape his escape his bubble unless right. unless he use vim, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And part of the debate was uh, on the in the HN comments was, you know, it's kind of there's this tension between advocating for the rights of, you know, non-neurotypical people like Stallman, uh who sometimes like say things like this and uh, you know, say things that uh, are go against social norms and aren't necessarily, you know, have varying degrees of awareness of how offensive those could be, uh, you know, versus just uh, the kind of increased, uh, you know, political, you know, for lack of a better term, political correctness, or just like, you know, generally people trying to be more thoughtful about what they say and uh, hold people accountable for what they say, you know, in progressive circles. And so there's kind of like a uh, a tension there. I think you know, there was an interesting debate going on um, about that tension. That's enough Stallman talk. I think we might have escaped without getting canceled if we stopped yeah. now. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, next up, I will give a. Well, I'm torn on this one. I was what I was doing is I was reading through something on Hacker News called "My Self-Study Plan for Electrical Engineering," and I was thinking I sort of studied electrical engineering, but not I, obviously I was more on the computer science side of it and so my electrical engineering skills are pretty weak especially because I don't use them every day and I was thinking hmm, that that would be cool to like learn more about electrical engineering and then I read through this guy's plan and I was like oh that'd be cool and then I read the comments and the first comment kind of trashes the, co- the this guy's plan <laughs> <laughs> and says like uh, actually you're just like painting with an incredibly broad br- brush and you're really like 
if you do the plan that you've described, you're going to have a very broad, like too broad scope, and you're not going to really understand anything very deeply. Uh, and a bunch of people agreed. So then I got myself thinking about like, what is the, what is like the right level of learning electrical engineering? And I guess it's just to follow whatever you find interesting, but it's, uh, it's such a broad category of stuff. Huh? Interesting. I can't find this or the comment threads. Uh, is this from yesterday on HN? Oh, it's yeah. From yesterday titled my self-study plan for electrical engineering. Got it. There's a dash between self and study. I'm, I'm not actually sure if that's grammatically correct. Yeah. I think it's, uh, uh, I use HCKR news. And so they only show like that whatever hit, you know, got above the top 20 stories. Um, so I don't think it must have just been somewhere between 20 and 30, assuming you saw it on the homepage. Oh, weird. Because it, it got like uh, 300 plus points. So that's kind of surprising. How interesting. That is odd. Uh, a real-time fact check is that there should be a dash between self and study in the word self-study. Okay. So, I mean, that's interesting. What like, what were some of the more granular topics that they, they said you would need to get into to like be employable? Well, I guess, it, I don't know if it was necessarily for employable, but just to like get a better understanding of the whole EE world. And the, the top commenter is like, why don't you, uh, he's basically said, this is too broad to ever be accomplished. My recommendation is to redo the list first with whatever piques your interest in EE. Mm-hmm. Like choose like, do you want digital hardware? Do you want analog hardware? Do you want control systems? Do you want embedded systems? But like, if you try to do all of it, like you're both like reading like processor spec sheets and doing magnetism. And it's like too big of a field. Yeah. I'm, I've got the article up now. I totally see. I see where they're coming from. He starts, there's, yeah, big mix of like little microcontroller projects, you know, build a clock with a breadboard. Uh, and then like his phase one, like he lists like uh, eight or nine textbooks, you know, digital circuits, ENM, linear circuits, materials, chemistry for engineers, which like, you know, maybe, maybe worry about the chemistry once you've already fully understood, you know, once you're starting to hit the limits of the abstractions established by electrical engineering and then, right. uh, yeah, signal systems, electronic circuits. I mean, it, these are the kinds of things where you would take a class in all of them, like over the course of taking an EE degree, like an introductory class. Yeah. Um, you know, it might be a situation where HN just thinks, you know, by listing these topics, they, you know, he just plans to get like a 101 version of it, but uh, they think he plans to uh, learn the entire field to the level of uh, sophistication that they know it at, which is maybe a, a very common <laughs> hacker news commenter problem. Right. Uh, looks interesting, though. I've always, I still want to read like uh, uh, electronics. Hmm. There's some famous electronics. Oh, electronics for hackers or something? Hmm. Mm. Some kind of, well, that's definitely not it. I'll uh, look this up and put it in the show notes. But there's like a very famous, very practical uh, electronics, like ah, you know, practical electronics for inventors. Oh, wow, you nailed it! <laughs> I almost <laughs> said it by accident. Yes, <laughs> practical electronics for inventors. I mean, what an incredible name of a book. This uh, yeah. is something I've I I think it's at my parents' house now because I didn't want to lug it around, but I own it, and uh, I have been meaning to go through it um, for a long, long time, and uh, I'll get around to it someday. Yeah. Another story to talk about. Don't end the week with nothing. This is a new, and by new, I mean from 2014, which I just realized, uh, a not new blog post from uh, uh, Patio 11 from Patrick McKenzie, 
who, uh, you know, basic, the basic pitch, I mean, he basically explains kind of his philosophies of like how to choose jobs uh, or like how to work on entrepreneurial side projects while at a job and the kinds of things you should be optimizing for. Uh, kind of big things that really stuck with me are the idea of uh, uh, basically do things that involve producing artifacts. So like, you know, if in your job there's any way to like have your work be public, whether it's like OSS software or to like, you know, go like write blog posts or to speak at conferences or to just like have work, units of work that are out there in the world that you can point to that aren't all proprietary, um, then, you know, try to prioritize for that as much as possible. And then he uh, basically you know, talks a little bit, has like kind of a, a foray into discussing the role of a developer evangelist, which was is obviously interesting to me since I'm potentially going to be starting a, I guess it's not an evangelist. I think that term is maybe a little less common these days. Uh, it talks about, you know, developer advocacy roles and uh, links to uh, a blog post about that role from Keith Casey, who's a, was a, you know, one of the original developer evangelists um, out at Twilio. And so, yeah, this is all relevant to me. And I just found it really interesting uh, in general. Uh, he does, yeah. you know, talk about like, you know, he he worked at like the most, you know, private lockdown proprietary, you know, software job for a long time, um, you know, working at a company in Japan where he worked like 90 hour weeks for like several years uh, and like everything was completely private. And so he like, you know, kind of talks through uh he, he certainly, you know, a lot of this is kind of a reaction to that, I guess, but it's a, it's a nuanced take and uh, everything he reads is, is worth a read. And so that goes without saying, worth checking out. Yeah, that's also a great suggestion. I love, uh, I love that as a, as a method of building a portfolio of stuff mm -hmm. that you've done. Makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. Okay, I think we have time for one more quick one, which is on CSS Tricks. Now, I think CSS Tricks as a website is... Uh, controversial in how good of a website it is for CSS. <laughs> but this article uh, just published, I think is a great one. It's called In Praise of the Unambiguous Click Menu. And uh, what the author, Mark Root Willie, is uh, pitching here is to stop on websites doing these menu bars that are hover-based. And he kind of walks through the various different hover menus where you hover over one of the top items and all of the the sub options drop down and he says there are like so many different ways it could be done it gets very confusing is the top item its own website or is the top item duplicated so if you have like if you hover over the about item and there's a drop down is it also going to say about underneath it or is that clickable Mm -hmm. You know, so yep. his pitch is just use click menus. There's no, don't use a hover state. You just have to click on the, the menu option and then you get the drop down, and then you choose and it's always understandable. And I am hugely in favor of this, even though no website in the world does it. Yeah. Let's I completely agree with that. It's also just a lot easier to implement with clicking. Uh, yeah. and you don't get weird things where, uh, well, I guess I guess it depends on how you handle the logic of when the menu goes away. Like if you click it to make it open, does it still hide itself automatically as soon as you move the cursor out of the boundaries of it? I'm sure that's addressed. That's a little trickier. 
But if you just have to like click and then click again to toggle it closed, then um, well, that that's that's a heck of a lot easier than having to worry about hover logic, especially since sometimes these like, you know, you typically would structure this as having these menus. Like you, you can just handle this all with hover events and CSS. Um, as long as the menu with all like the different sublinks is a child of the parent, but then like you have to do all this like weird absolute positioning stuff such that the children mm -hmm. elements are able to like be visible, you know, outside of the boundaries of the parent. And so you end up with, and like, sometimes they like extend like further to the right, uh, you know, than the parent does and, you know, overlapping other hover menu elements. And, uh, then like, you're not able to like, just, you know, uh, you can't hover over things that are already being covered up by the menu and things like that. Um, anyway, there, this is a whole, it's a whole mess. Uh, I don't know if it we said this before on the podcast, but it's almost like web design is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I could not agree more. And with that, I'll see you tomorrow, folks. See ya.